0: Okay, so we're back again today for week number 14 of Learning to Lean on uh, Happy Heart's Day, February 14th, and we're going to talk today about prayer. We actually practiced prayer last week, and um, now we're going to follow up with some teaching on prayer. Okay, I'm going to need to cough, so excuse me for just a second. (coughs) It is it's something in the air. I don't know what it is, but anyway, I only do this on Tuesdays, but um, so we, um, two weeks ago, I guess it's been three weeks ago now, we started Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, and remember it was that long, long sentence that went on for all those verses that talked about all the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And it was such a foundational teaching about, I mean, it was kind of all the path of knowing God and all the blessings that are ours in Christ and the inheritance that we are to him and he is to us and the role of the father and the role of the son, the father and the son and the spirit and so paul is just all wound up wanting to know everything that is ours in christ every spiritual blessing he said in verse three so we realized that that was really meaty and a lot to take in and it was hard to absorb so we kind of took a break to kind of apply some of that and now we're going to finish the chapter and what paul i'm just going to tell you where we're going today what we're going to do today is is we're going to learn how Paul is teaching us believers how to pray by taking all that that he just said about what's true of the Father, what's true of the Son, what's true of the Spirit, and he's basically turning it into a prayer. And he's praying it for the people who are reading this letter, and that includes us Christians today. Because remember, Ephesians was a letter we believe that was meant for all the churches So that's us. We're the church today. And so Paul was a person of prayer. He had a passion for prayer. And this was true of Paul before Christ called him to himself on the Damascus Road. We know that Paul loved God in his own way, that he was devoted to God, that he gave his life to study scriptures. I mean, he left home, we think, at age around 14, 15 years old to go and study under a very important teacher of the scriptures. I mean, he this was a man that really knew his word. He knew what we now call the Bible. He was devoted to that. And so he knew that if you look at anybody that has any length of pages in the Bible, and who had any sort of impact on the world in the Old Testament, that person was a person of prayer. So we know that Paul was a very bright man and a very diligent student. So he knew about prayer, and I believe he devoted himself to prayer. And so if you look, I've given you four examples of Old Testament We'll call them saints. I don't think they called them that in the Old Testament. People who actually knew God, who had a faith relationship with God pre-Christ. And these were people that prayed. Moses, who is like my number one person besides Jesus, I'm going to sit down with when I get to heaven. It says in Moses 30, uh, in Exodus thirty-three eleven about Moses, the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Do you want to be that person? I do. I want to be that person. And as we've said probably 16 times out of the 14 times that we've met, that Romans 15, 4 tells us that all these things were written so that we might know and that we might have encouragement and hope. So Paul knew that Moses prayed and met with God. He knew that Nehemiah did something that was nearly impossible, rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem in 52 days with the help of the Holy Spirit by prayer. They had been trying for years to bring that project to completion. Nehemiah did it by praying. We've given you the reference there. Daniel, a man who was taken away as a young teenager to Babylon and was castrated and was called to live in a way that was uh, against God's way and he stood firm because he knew God. And he prayed three times a day, it tells us, in the verse I've given you. And he wrote the book of Daniel. And many of our prophecies come from this, this young man who was a man of prayer that he learned at an early age. David, I mean, I think David tops Paul as being the person who wrote the most prayers in the Bible. And he writes them, and he writes them, and he writes them, and he writes prayers from, Oh, you are so glorious, God, to, How long, O oh, Lord? He writes from He puts it all out there. Talking about getting in touch with your emotions, just pick up Psalms, and you'll see David just putting them on out there. He may have been a number four on the Enneagram, Stephanie. (laughs) And for all of you who are emotional beings, like I'm one. I've got a four wing on my number three um, for Enneagram followers. But um, anyway, so prayer... For somebody, let's go back to what was Paul like before he met Jesus on the Damascus Road? He was probably doing, like his contemporaries who were very devoted to God, he was probably praying because it was the right thing to do, because the Bible illustrated it in the lives of those people that we just mentioned. He was probably doing it because it was a duty, you know, and maybe he was doing it because he was trying to move the dial a little bit and get some results out of God that, he wasn't seeing happening. Like, we got to get rid of these people that are spreading this thing called the gospel. You know, I don't really know. That's speculation on my part, but I do believe Paul prayed. And I'll just say, you know, I've in the many, many years I've been working with women in discipleship, I've learned that prayer is a weak link for a lot of people. People don't really enjoy prayer. They don't practice prayer as much as they say they do because of that whole thing of duty. I mean, I I wish I could kind of find and take out the person that's called it a spiritual discipline. Now, does it require some discipline? Absolutely, it does. But that's not why we do it. And so we'll talk about that. But I want to just set the stage for you about what, let's get rid of the duty. Let's get rid of the like, we should part, because that's where Paul was, until he met Jesus, and Jesus came with that brilliant light, and he knocked him off the horse of pride and self-reliance and self-righteousness, and he realized, oh, Jesus is Lord, the very one I've been persecuting, and we looked at that for like three solid weeks, but... um the very first thing that we find Paul doing after he has been struck down by that light, his physical eyes are closed. He's blinded by the light. He asked the Lord what He'd have him to do. He told him where to go in Damascus. Um, he sat there waiting for the next thing to happen, and God calls Ananias and says, "You know, go, 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 pray for your brother." Paul or Saul, as he was called then. And of course, Ananias was terrified because this man was killing Christians. And listen to what God says, and I had to do it in the King James because it just reads so much better than the King James. But this is what God said to Ananias. He said, Behold, he prayeth. Paul, the very first thing he did when he sat still was pray. So we know this man had a, a habit and a desire. For prayer. And so he had a really good foundation. And I wanted to talk about the characteristics of a person of prayer. And I think it's important for us to kind of know that there are some things that are going to help you in this call to pray. And here are some of the ones that gave Paul an advantage when he met Jesus. One was the desire to know Jesus more. I mean, can you imagine what it was like to have thought Jesus was like some false prophet, and all of a sudden to meet Jesus? Well, he wanted to know some more about Jesus. And I know I do, and that's the reason we sang that song, I Want to Know You More, Lord. Um, He had a very deep affection for the things of God, and he had a grasp of God's word. He was acquainted, as we said earlier, with how God really does move through the prayers of his people. We see that over and over again in the Bible. He actually made prayer a priority. You see, that was the first thing he did, and it was a habit. And, I mean, let's just say that on the front end, is that it's kind of like it's good for you and you're going to like it when you do it. It's like I love to floss and brush my teeth, you know, but I... It is a habit. I mean, like, we want it to get to the point where do you ever sometimes have to go check and see if your toothbrush is wet because you do it so often and you just think, was that last night or tonight that I brushed my teeth? You know what I'm saying? That's when when you really know that it's a natural default part of your lifestyle is when it just comes so naturally that it's just out of the overflow of just you moving through your day. And I believe that is a great place to, you know, to pray toward. And if you're not there, that's why we're having this conversation today. We'll we'll get there. We'll grow to that place. And that, that Paul at last had found a place of humility. He realized, I have been so off track. And I'm going to tell you some of my story about how that was true of me too, where we— re- Pardon me, where we realize that we really do want to set aside leaning to our own understanding and we want to acknowledge God in all of our ways. And, I mean, where does that happen, y'all? It happens in prayer. And I don't do a lot of teaching on prayer because actually I think the word scares people off. People really kind of, I don't know that they really want to pray. But if you think about it in a really organic, relational way, I think it's going to change the way you approach it, and it's going to make you love it and not avoid it. And so, um, I mean, just think about having your past being made straight. Do you want that? I do. And so what do I need to do to... Have that happen while I need to acknowledge God in all my ways? Well, guess where that happens? It happens in your prayers. And so let's just take a minute to just think about, I have a feeling that as we do this listening prayer that you're going to see that you've got more things in place than you realize you do to really have a powerful prayer life. So let's just ask the Lord real quick to show us, Um, Lord, we just come to you and we take these six things that we just talked about that make a great foundation for being a person of prayer. And Lord, we just ask that you would just point out the ones to us that we really do already have in place. Father, encourage us, I pray. And now, Lord, we do ask you if there's one of these, maybe one or two possibly, that would best enable us to grow as people of prayer. Is or an area you might have us focus on as a place of growth. Well, there's one obvious one for me. It started with an H. Um, okay, so let's talk about how Paul grew into this new relationship with Christ. Because he really he didn't, you know, he really didn't know Jesus. He knew a lot about the Bible. He knew a lot about God. He knew a a lot about the men of God and the people of God in the Bible. But so for the three years we said earlier in the first semester that he spent three years getting to know Jesus through prayer and taking the word of God, opening up before the Lord and letting God really kind of reframe for him. What do these scriptures mean? Because we can't have that without the Holy Spirit. We can't really have a deep understanding of the truth of scripture without the Holy Spirit. And if we don't have Jesus, we don't have the Holy Spirit. We learned that, you know, in, that for, in the first section that we studied the last two lessons. So, um, so Paul does that for three years, and he is so transformed. He is a really changed man. And so what a great guy to kind of pattern our, our study after as we learn to lean. He learned to lean into prayer. In, in an authentic, powerful way. And so he was so changed. And he, you can just see in this Ephesians 1 as he starts off, this just excitement is just building, and then he just burst out into this prayer. And I'm going to give you verses 17 through 20. He kind of goes on and tacks on some theology at the end, which I have eliminated, lest we be overwhelmed. Because the, the meat of this prayer is in verses 17 and 18. So here we go. We're going to read it from the Amplified, his prayer for all the believers of Christ, all the people found in Christ. Ephesians 1, 17 through 20. For I always pray to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that he may grant you a spirit of wisdom and revelation, of insights into mysteries and secrets in the deep and intimate knowledge of him, by having the eyes of your heart flooded with light, so that you can know And understand the hope to which he has called you and how rich is his glorious inheritance in the saints, his set apart ones. And so that you can know and understand what is the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of his power in and for us as demonstrated in the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand, in the heavenly places so that is a good solid biblical prayer paul is praying it for all of us and he's giving giving it to us as an example for us to become people of prayer now you notice paul's purpose in this prayer and i think you know the book of james tells us that sometimes we pray with wrong motives Well, Paul is telling us the true motive for prayer, the true purpose of prayer. He's just saying what he's already said and what we've already studied is to know, to have knowing a deep experiential relational knowledge of the Lord. And we said, I think on week two of our series, that Paul has already said Philippians 3.10 is his life purpose, is that he would know Jesus progressively, intimately, and more deeply. That is his goal, and that is his hope and aim and purpose in this prayer is that all of us would have that same desire and that same experience as him. And so think about it. In any relationship, there's got to be communication, and prayer is where communication happens between us and the Lord. So it's not like some duty. I had a conversation with a friend yesterday, and we were kind of bemoaning how sometimes men can kind of miss the point. And I am no, um, wait a minute, I know this word. It starts with Andy. But anyway, it's it's the opposite of misogyny. I think it's indigene. It's not androgyny, it's indigeny, I believe. But anyway, y'all, y'all sociologists can write me a letter and tell me that I said that wrong. But um, anyway, I am not bashing males. I just think this is kind of a cute story. But just think about prayer in these terms. So you say to your husband, after a period of just going through life, just doing your duties and getting kids where they need to be and going to the grocery store and making all the family functions and getting to Sunday school and church and then running the laundry and picking up the dry cleaning and all that stuff that we do. And then you say, well, I mean, I really kind of miss us just being us, and I wish we could do something fun. I wish we could do something relational, something intentional. I mean, like, I would really love to be pursued by you, so maybe you could ask me out. or You know, what? okay, just... You've had this conversation. And what if your husband said to you, I'll try harder? Who wants to be on the other end of that? Raise your hand if you'd like that answer. I know I just led the witness with my tongue. But I'm just saying, I don't want to be an obligation to my husband. I want him to want to be with me because he loves me and he likes me. And we have fun together. And we do, we're We a good team. And so can you see that we approach God that very same way as that husband that kind of doesn't get it? So think about all everything you want from a relationship, a deep, intimate friendship, a deep, intimate marriage, a deep relationship with your child or your parent or whoever's dear to you. You approach that intentionally and relationally and out of love. You don't do it because you're supposed to, and you're trying harder, do you? No. So think about that. Think about how Jesus says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and why does he knock on the door of your heart? So that I can come in and have fellowship with you. That's a relationship, folks. That's, I just want to be with you. I love you, and I want to be with you. And so think about that in terms of what he says to everybody when he's teaching on the Sermon of the Mount. Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. So see what he's doing? He's saying to you the thing he wants you to do back to him. He's knocked on the door of your heart for relationship. You've opened the door to him, and he wants you to do the same thing. And I want to credit the lady. I read this fantastic article by Marissa Baker who pointed that out, and I thought that is a beautiful picture of a true person of prayer, that they do it from a heart of relationship. And she says here in this little quote, prayer is one of the best tools we have for opening up our lives and letting God know he's welcome developing a a true friendship with God and that that is a biblical term I'm not being light or you know not treating him with holiness because he calls people Abraham he calls you know um, Moses his friend so um, and Jesus says that to his disciples so um, that's what I desire and so he says ask some of you that have been here around for a while will remember I got a big charge out of this verse I'm about to read several years ago and I even threatened to get a tattoo. I've never had a tattoo because I couldn't decide on a tattoo. I've never had a vanity tag because I couldn't decide on a vanity tag, but if I do get one, it may be ASKJN1624, which is John 16:24. And this is what it says. It says, "Up until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be made full." So, y'all, really, it's the truth. When we take the time to ask, when we actually extend faith toward Jesus, when we actually intentionally approach him about whatever it is going on in our lives, whether it is something as small as, what do I cook for supper tonight? Y'all, I really do pray about stuff like that. You may think, well, Jesus is too busy for your supper plans. No, he's not. I ask him, you know, don't look at my outfit today, but I do ask him what to wear. Sometimes I do, and sometimes I don't, and I look cuter some days than I do other days, but anyway. Um, but seriously, I think he does care about those small things. If he cares about the number of hairs on your head, he cares about those things, too. So um, he makes a point of saying that to his disciples. So um, we want to get to know him, and so what Paul says in this passage is that you have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He's going to show you stuff, you know? He's going to answer your prayers. He's going to, quote, speak to you, and we're going to talk a little bit more about how he speaks, but give me just a second. Let's, first of all, define wisdom and revelation. Wisdom is the God-given ability to apply the knowledge of God's will to life situations and to perceive reality accurately. True insight into known facts. And that's from Strong's. That's the original language that they're translating for us so we understand. What was Paul trying to tell us? He was saying, well, remember the verse that he takes of mine and he discloses it unto you. That's what he's saying is he takes God's word and he applies it to your heart. He takes God's word and he applies it to your circumstances. James 1.5 is another verse that goes with that. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask and God will give generously. God desires to fellowship with you, commune with you, dialogue with you about the things that are important to you. And revelation to uncover or expose that which was previously not visible or known. Have you got any dark places in your life that you don't know the answer to? Any uncertainties? Anything you, that you don't know what's coming and you may be feeling kind of anxious about that? Nobody in this room has that? <laughs> okay. Uh, I've got some of those too. And we have the Spirit. And the Spirit is a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. And He is going to illumine your path. But in order for us to recognize that, we need to develop a relationship. And, um, And so that's what Paul's saying, that you might know Him, that you might come to recognize the nudge, that you might come to recognize the voice. You might come to be able to perceive it when that word jumps off the page of your Bible, and all the various ways that God speaks. Again, I'll get to that in just a minute. But, but that knowing, that relational knowing versus just knowing about God. And I think I've told y'all already this year, but I don't mind to repeat it. Is um, one big turning point for me when I was first entering this discipleship kind of application part of my journey, which was so transformative, and that's the reason I do what I do and have continued to do it for so long, is that I can't keep it to myself. If you are not having God's spirit apply God's word to your life in a personal way, if you're not having Jesus answer your prayers, you are missing out on all the fun, because it is a joy to live like that, even in the hardest of circumstances. Um, But I had someone, before I knew how to live that way, and I was so stuck and I was so disillusioned and I was so discouraged in my faith, this person was um, loved me enough to say, you know, Kathy, you know a lot about God, but you don't know him very well. And I just kind of went, I wish you hadn't said that. You know, I didn't really want her to say that, but it was the truth and it was a gift to me because I didn't. So let's ask Jesus to show us where we are on that continuum this is not about shame. This is just a, a reality check to go, oh, well, maybe that's the place I start is to get to know God better. So let's just ask him to show us where we are. So Father, we come once again. We ask the spirit to come and reveal by the spirit of wisdom and revelation, Lord, how well we know you. Lord, do we just know about you? Do we just kind of know you as an acquaintance? Or, are we growing in friendship with you? Are we friends of God or do we have a deep and intimate knowledge of you or some other phrase that you'd want to give us? And, Lord, we do just say to you, like we sang earlier, Lord, sometimes those songs are hard to sing when we don't mean them 100%. But, Lord, we really do, at the deepest part of our hearts and the deepest part of our souls, we were made to know you. And so, Lord, we ask that you would cause us to get in touch with that desire. And we say to you by faith, Lord, not by feelings, but by faith, we say, Lord, I want to know you more. Would you... Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to believe that you really do want to be close friends, deep and intimately related to us, Lord. Would you give us the courage to open our hearts to you and to come and knock on your door like you've knocked on the door of our hearts? Thank you, Lord. We know that's what you want for us, and so we ask you to make it true of us in Jesus' name. So, how do we communicate with God? Well, we do it by the Spirit. The Spirit is kind of the go-between, right? He's the one that comes, as we saw at the first half of this chapter, that dwells inside of us. He's that seal. He's that engagement ring. He's the down payment, that seal that lets us know that we're set apart and we belong to Christ. And he does live in us, and he's never going to leave us. And we're stuck with him, you know. Um, but we can grieve him, and we can suppress him, and we can ignore him. And we want to stop doing that if that's what we've been doing. We want to, we want to uh, come and knock on the door, and we want to open and be willing to listen and stay tuned in to, yeah, to his presence. And a great starting place for hearing from God And his answers to prayer, as we practice, is the scripture. And I've just given you one verse out of many, and I've given you a supplemental handout today with a lot of verses on it that will help you if you have questions about hearing from God. Let me say what I'm not saying when I say hearing from God. I am not saying God is going to speak audibly to you, nor am I saying that God will speak something to you by way of revelation that is not consistent with the scriptures. He's not going to be giving you some new apostolic calling, and you're not going to be writing a new book of the Bible. That is not what I'm saying. He is saying, I will take what I have written for you in my scriptures, and I will apply it to your life. Now, do I believe that God speaks in other ways than through the scripture? Yes, ma'am, I believe that, and I don't apologize for saying that. And let me, I can give you a thousand and one ways that I know that because I've lived it, just like Paul has. And many of you in this room have lived it. But uh, it says in uh, Proverbs, and I've got, as I said, more verses for you on the supplemental page, that God speaks in one way or in another, yet man does not perceive it, Proverbs thirty three fourteen. Okay, let me give you one little short example of how God used something other than a Bible verse to speak to me. Because, you know, as God is, as we are in his presence, we... How he's expressing himself to us is in itself an answer to prayer. Like, you know the difference between peace and chaos, right? You know the difference between peace and confusion. The Bible says God is not a God of confusion. Paul writes in Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule as umpire in your heart. So sometimes when I pray to God, I don't get, like, a Bible verse. I just one of the options I'm considering just seems to feel right. There's a peace that surrounds that option, and I believe that's our opportunity to walk by faith and not by sight, as it says in the book of Corinthians. I mean, it's, it's, it is stepping out into the light that we have and then trusting God to confirm it in other ways. <coughs> And he will always do that. So here's my little example. Okay, we've been talking about my hips. So let's just keep on talking about them because I, I I can't think about much else than that. So I went to the doctor back in October. I got the surprise news that I needed not one but two hip replacements. And I, I knew that the doctor was highly sought after and that the list was long and it was going to take months to get on the list. So I put my name in the hat for March 22nd for my, quote, bad hip, and he says to the other hips, quote, bad, so why don't you go ahead and schedule that second surgery? Well, I said, and does that commit me to that second surgery? Because I really hadn't, I mean, obviously haven't prayed about a second surgery because I didn't know I needed it, right? So I had them put my name on the list. I thought, okay, I, feel, I, I have a piece about that. And so then I started praying. I said, Lord, you know, I'm asymptomatic on the other side. Does that, is that the right thing to do to go ahead and replace a quote unquote bad hip that feels good? I mean, does, is that wisdom? I don't know. I need your, I am acknowledging you in this thing, and I want you to, to, to direct my path. I still don't have a Bible verse about this, but I'll tell you, I had two things happen. Well, I've had about three things happen. I'm going to name name them. I've had so many divine appointments with people who go, hip replacement? I've got a friend. I need you to talk to them. Here's their number. I'm going to have my friend call you. They call me. Or, I've had two hip replacements. Let me tell you my story. Or, my husband had two hip replacements. Let me tell you his story. And I've had so many people tell me their stories. And all of them kind of are sort of saying, you should totally do it. But, I'm not going to take that as my answer, right? I'm still waiting for that sense of peace that serves as I'm powering my heart. So then the next thing happens, and that is I'm really pretty good on both sides when I go in there having just a little bit of problem on the left, but enough that it's hampering me, and I'm thinking we probably need to just be evaluated. But I was really pretty good, you know, and I'm thinking six months fine. I mean, if I have to wait 12 months, I'm fine. Can I just tell you how bad it's gotten? I have gone downhill fast in this last, say, month to six weeks. And it's like, yikes. I mean, so what if I don't have the second surgery? And then, in, you know, just out of the blue, I hit the tipping point, and my other side goes out. Well, then I have to start all over and get back on the list and wait and waste time and all that. So I'm kind of thinking, Hmm. Seems like wisdom to go ahead. Seems like it, but Lord, I'm still not 100% sure. And then we get the phone call several weeks ago that I'm going to have a grandbaby in August. So who do you think needs two new hips before August? That would be Kit right here. Um, that's, my son's decided that's the best grandma name for me, so I'm going to go with it. So, um, So, I mean, do you see how God uses people? he uses circumstances, he uses nature, he uses a lot of things to answer our prayers. I feel 100% confident that this is what I need to do. Do y'all feel good with that? Mm -hmm. Can I get a witness? And that's another way that God does is that he confirms through witnesses. Let a matter be confirmed by two or three witnesses, it says in the Old Testament. So I look to my people that I know have a deep walk with the Lord and say, hey, Does that feel right to you? Does that bear witness with you? Does it? Y'all good with that? Okay, good. I'm feeling good about it. We all have peace about it. We're in oneness about it. I think God's answered that prayer. Does that help? Okay. So I just thought it might. So, and again, this takes practice. Don't think that, you know, if you're just starting this journey, There's going to be some hit or miss, and I'm telling you, I am still hitting and missing, and I've been doing this a very long time. So um, not to be discouraged because someone may be ahead of you on that path. Be encouraged because they can help you along, okay? And then lastly, let's talk about power. And Paul uses the concept of light to talk about power because light is a very powerful thing. And he's saying that wisdom and insight is like light. Well, he should know. He's the one that saw the blinding light on the Damascus Road, remembering it changed everything for him. And so he is going back and taking his scripture knowledge about God and all the times in the Bible that God is uh, has used light or the concept of light to talk about wisdom and revelation. He, um, I'm not sure how the timelines match up, but we have the... Um, we have the advantage of having the whole council of scripture, and we know in first John one five that John writes God is light. Light is his essence. Remember the very first words he spoke in Genesis one two were, Let there be light. So light's big with God. And he knows how to bring it because he is it, you know. And David, who was a man after God's own heart, a person of prayer he says God the Lord is my light I don't really need anything else I don't have to be afraid because the Lord is my light because that's who he is Psalm 139 says darkness and light are the same to God so if you've all those dark places that you don't know about don't worry because God knows it's like light to him he's got all the data all the information you need, he's got the pathway to get there, he's got the pathway through it, he's got the pathway beyond it because it's the same to him. And then Paul writes again um, about the purpose for this light, and I want to make sure we make that circle back to why? Is it so that we'll know about our helps? Well, sort of, except for it's really about knowing God. It's about me knowing God in my day-to-day circumstances. So Paul says to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, he goes, For God who has said light shall shine out of darkness, that's a good promise, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So where do we go to get light? When we meet face-to-face with Jesus in the prayer closet. And, y'all, I don't always just pray in my prayer closet. I have a, a set-apart place, and I would highly recommend for you to have, like, your spot. But I'm telling you, the driver's seat in my car is a great spot. Walking down the aisle at the grocery store, everybody's got on a Bluetooth or an AirPod, whatever you call those things. They're talking. I'm talking to Jesus while they're talking to their friend. I don't, you know, the husband wants to know what brand of soup to buy, and I'm talking to Jesus about what brand of soup to buy. I mean, you too can pray without ceasing because it's relational, and he never leaves you. And so Jesus talking about back to light, Jesus had a really Really big heart for blind people. I tried to do the research on this, and I couldn't get an exact number, which I found to be slightly frustrating. But what I do know is Jesus healed a ton of blind people. That was like his most prevalent miracle in the New Testament. Uh, The reason there's no number is because he he healed multiple. On a couple of occasions, he healed multiple blind people. So we don't have an exact number, but he did it a lot. And another Bible fun fact to know and tell case you're paying, playing bible trivia is that no other prophet or man of god or disciple in the entire scripture ever held a blind person besides jesus so you can win with that one okay because <laughs> you know elisha and elijah and some of these guys they did amazing miracles paul did amazing peter you know all these guys did amazing miracles but nobody ever held a blind man but jesus so i, I just thought that was interesting at least that was according to my commentary and i You know, I didn't look at every commentary. But anyway, and so Jesus reinforces this in what I call his vision statement because when he went to his home church and when he was the person that stood up to read the scroll, he pulled out Isaiah 61, and he said it as if it were true of him. And it offended a lot of people, but it really does it for me. And hear this as him speaking to you. His mission, his vision, his desire, his purpose in your life is to do this. He's saying of himself, "The spirit of the Lord is on me. He has chosen me to tell good news to the poor." Luke 4:18 and 19. "He has sent me to tell prisoners that they are free, and he has sent me to tell the blind that they can see again. He has sent me to free those who have been treated badly and to announce that the time has come for the Lord to show His kindness. Well, when you were working through your worksheet last week, did you have some places where there was some kindness that was lacking? Jesus is the person that you go to to receive what you didn't get. Jesus is the person that sets you free from the lies you've believed. Jesus is the one who has the power of wisdom and revelation that he sends his spirit to us so that we don't have to walk in the dark. And he's the one who heals us in all the places where we're broken. And that's why he came. And Paul says, just as such a lovely turn of phrase, I pray that the eyes of your heart, not your physical eyes, although Jesus had a real, real heart for physical eyes being healed, What I really want you to have is the eyes of your heart flooded with light, that you would have insight, wisdom, and revelation into the things of God, not just physical things, not just circumstances, but those deep spiritual riches, that love feast that we talked about that was spread before us in the first half of Ephesians 1. And so what good does light do? It's, it's got all this power. Well, what are some specific ways we can experience that power as believers? Well, to walk in the light. Paul writes later in this book, Ephesians 5.8, that live as children of light. The light produces in men everything that is wholesome and good and true. So that Holy Spirit is the one that's producing good works in us, that we have the power to live differently and more Christ-likely, if that's a word, as we progress in our journey. Why? Because we have that spirit, the power of light coming to bear in our lives. Uh, We have the power to see the darkness hiding in us as we've been doing that behind the scenes and letting God bubble up the dross, bubble up the dark things. Um, That's the spirit. That's the light of God's spirit. It says uh, also in Ephesians 5, Verses 13 and 14, evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. So God is able to bring to your light through that spirit of revelation things you never remembered or knew before, lies that you believe that you would, you would swear you didn't believe that, and then you realize, oh, no, that's what I really think. I just didn't know it, you know, kind of thing. He has the um, power to help us understand spiritual truth, He has the power to reveal his plans to us, and he usually does it one step at a time. You know, sometimes he'll give us the big picture on the front end. Sometimes he does, but usually it's a step-by-step progressive journey. And so he says in Psalm 119, 105, By your words I can see where I'm going. They throw a beam of light on my dark path. That's a great promise to appropriate. And then lastly, Are you feeling weak and weary anywhere? Do you want to learn to lean? Here's a great promise for you. Psalm 1828, you, Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. You ever wake up tired? It's a good one. Lord, would you keep my light burning today, my lamp burning? And so, so Paul prays this beautiful prayer and I just wanted to make I think a pretty obvious point here that you've already picked up on and I think I sort of said earlier what is Paul doing he's taking what is obviously true to the whole counsel of scripture that he has just put out line by line by line in the first part of that chapter all that's true of the nature of God all that's true of the principles of God all that's true of the plan of God all that's true of the will of God, all the blessings that are available to us in God, all that he's lined it up for you, and now he has taken it and he's making it a prayer for us. He has taken what's God's will and saying to God, hey, God, remember you said, remember how you said, well, would you do that? It can be that simple. That's what it means to pray in a relational way. And... Th- there's a verse that when I read this, I went, oh my goodness, why did somebody never tell me this verse? I remember the first time I heard it because it was so impactful to me, so I'm going to share it with you today, First John 5, 14, and 15, and I learned it in the New American Standard, so that's the way I gave it to you. This is the confidence which we have before him. How can we be confident that God's going to answer our prayer? Well, first of all, he tells us, but here's where we can pray confidently and boldly with two feet standing on solid ground, listen, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. So that is a good, solid prayer, is that when you ask for any of those spiritual blessings, that's what I call a slam dunk prayer. You have just prayed back to God what he's already told you is his will. Expect it because he will fulfill his word. He will honor his promise. He always does. And then our journey is the waiting and the letting him decide what that's going to look like and the win. Okay? And so I want to tell you a little bit about my prayer journey. And then I have kind of a little weird P.S. on the end of it I think I'm supposed to tell. So I was very much like Saul. I learned in a church about the disciplines of my faith. And I had that little envelope I told y'all about every Sunday that I was supposed to check the boxes. And did I pray every day? Well, I wanted to make sure I could check that box. So I did pray every day. And I brought my offering too, you know, and, you know, whatever other thing it asked me to do. So I kind of was a Pharisee in some ways, kind of like Saul was. And um, I didn't have a lot of fruit in my life. And as I told you a minute ago, I didn't know God very well. Uh, I did have a good foundation for becoming a person of prayer, though. And so, if you're in that place of, well, prayer is just a duty to me, and I don't know if you're at God very well. Well, guess what? Today, all that can change for you, because it changed for me. And so, where where did I start? Well, I started in a discipleship class, much like this, that just said, "Hey, this this is about you knowing God." This is about you taking these scriptures and applying them to your very own life and circumstances and history and, and future and all that. And so I started understanding that, that God deals with us according to his word. And so that I could just pull open my, my Bible and take, the, take any of the worksheets that I've handed out and find a scripture and go, oh, wow, Lord, that you're saying you want me to walk in light? Well, if you've told me I could, I'm just asking you, would you make that true of me? I can't do it. I don't have the ability to walk in the light. But you're saying, you want me to walk in the light? Well, would you just make that true of me? Would you show me how to do that, Lord? And so that, I just started so baby simple like that. I think Psalm 32, it was something I prayed every single day. Lord, um, will you instruct me and teach me in the way that I should go? Will you counsel me with your eye upon me? I just prayed that, prayed that and prayed that and prayed that and prayed that. And it was so simple and childlike. And what did that do? Well, you might say, well, Kathy, God's sovereign. He's going to do all that stuff anyway. We just read in Ephesians 1.11. He's you know, already planned it before the foundation of the earth, and he's got everything ordered according to the counsel of his will. So why would you stop to pray about it? Well, because then I miss Jesus. That's why. I want to do my life with Jesus because, you know what, when it's dark, when it's hard, when it's uncertain, There's joy in having Jesus by my side. There's joy and love in knowing he cares about the little things. He cares about me enough to give me a parking place when my hip hurts. He cares about me enough to give me a parking place when my hip feels great. He cares. Sometimes I don't get a parking place and I get to walk in the sunshine or the rain. I mean, it's not about the outcome. But I began to learn that and I began to see that if I prayed for you, and you got an answer to prayer, all of a sudden I'm like, yes, God answered my prayer. Talking about joy, ask, so that you may receive, that your joy may be made complete. I started to realize, and there's so much joy that's mine when I take time to specifically pray, not, hey God, would you bless her? No, I mean, that's, I guess that's a legitimate prayer, Mm -hmm. but what about I pray for a specific situation and then see God move? Okay, You know, so that's kind of where I started. And then I'm going to have to confess to you that I kind of got into my thing of what I do. This is what I do, y'all. You have to watch me. And and if you see me doing it, say, Kathy, you're doing it. Stop it. But so what do I do? So I think, well, if one's good, then 25 is better. (laughs) So then I started praying like uh, three pages of Bible verses every single day. And y'all, guess what? Kind of took the joy out of it, I got to just tell you. It became duty, it became work, it wasn't fun. I got dry. Why? Because I got disconnected from Jesus. I was connected to my paper, you know. So I finally got the light shone on that, and I was like, oh, thank you, God. I hated the way that felt. Thank you for setting me free of that. So what I started to do is because I didn't have the confidence at first, I started going to anything I could get my hands on that talked about prayer. And I'm going to tell you one of the resources that just, I mean, I was discipled by a lady named Sylvia Gunner. She's a Birmingham person from Birmingham. I don't know if she was born here, but she lived here for many years. She still lives here. She's, you know, retired now. But she just started writing prayers from Scripture. And some of you may remember that old just, I mean, just booklet that had the praying hands on the front called Prayer Portions. Somebody put that in my hand one day. And I mean, I don't even know if I know where my original copy of that is, but I mean, it got worn stinking out, and I gave it to, if you knew me then, you probably got this in your mailbox one day, you know, it was just sort of a lifeline to me, because I had confidence because it was based on the scripture, and then she went on to write books and books and books of prayers, and I mean, I just prayed through every one of them, because there was the verse, and then here was the prayer that came out. And I just had confidence, and what I started seeing was God really does what he says he's going to do. And I learned to wait on God. I learned some stillness, which is not my nature, and I learned to recognize the voice of God. Again, not an audible voice, but just how God moves. Mm-hmm. And I got, I got to the point where I wasn't so confused by, was that me? Was that the devil? Was that my mother's voice in my ear? You know, I got to where I was more acquainted with Jesus. I got to know him better with the Holy Spirit, got to know him better. And so I had more intimacy with him, and so I became more easy to recognize him when he touched me. Okay, and, and I wanted to mention another couple of books. Catherine Marshall's The Helper, I read as a young teenager. It is probably out of date. I haven't read it in a while. If you have a young teenager or if you just want to start at that level, that was a really sweet book that was very practical. My favorite, I'm telling you, top two favorite books of all time in the world of the spiritual um, is called, uh, it's a dated title, but Corey Ten Boom's Tramp for the Lord. It is just these little bitty chapters of, she was a, a prisoner at Auschwitz, and she prayed her way through the concentration camp. But really, I think the more compelling story for me, at least, at least, more, I, I can't relate to a concentration camp, but I can relate to her not knowing where I'm going to go next or where I'm going to get the money to pay this bill or where, how am I going to deal with this relational tension. So she just writes these little bitty chapters about how, what she prayed, and how God answered, it. and it's just the sweetest, most dear, simple faith story. I mean, it's just it's a, it's a beautiful. And I love it. And you can just pick up any, you can open it anywhere, and just start reading and think, Ah, oh, yes. So that, and then if you really want a deep, deep dive, I would say wait till this summer. Don't do it today. <laughs> but Andrew Murray's um, "With Christ in the School of Prayer" is phenomenal. It is so deep. You can get it free online because his all of his works are um, public domain now. Um, so those are some some resources that I use. I went to every seminar I could go to on prayer. I was asked once. <laughs> I went to a prayer retreat and I was just signed up to go for the first time. And I had the leader of the retreat say, "Hey Kathy, come here for just a second. I said, "Yeah, what can I do for you?" And the person in charge of the retreat just shoved this folder in my hand and said, I want you to pray for these three people. And I'm going, What? Are you serious? You'll be fine. Go. And so I I mean just by faith, just sheer blind faith. Walked into the prayer room and guess what happened? Romans eight, twenty-six. We don't know how to pray as we should. But the Holy Spirit prays for us. Holy Spirit, birth prayers, man—that's the way to go. Because the prayer that gets started in heaven is a prayer that gets answered on earth. That's what Adrian Rogers said. So let me just go another about two minutes to tell you, so I can get to you to this point about light. So I went to the Cove, which is Billy Graham's Learning Center, and there's a woman that was speaking there, and that was my purpose for going. And she's a woman who's written book after book after book after book on prayer. Her name's Stormy O'Martian. Does anybody remember her? She, the, her big blockbuster was the prayer, no, excuse me, the power of a praying wife. And now she's got like this many, I mean, like her list of publications is very long, and it's the power of a praying mom of praying for your adult children, of praying through the Bible, of, I mean, of how to pray for your dog. I mean, she's got, <laughs> you need a prayer journal, she's got it for you. But I wanted to go actually hear her talk about prayer. So I signed up for this, I had the privilege of going. and her first talk, she basically told her story, and y'all, if any of you feels bad about your upbringing, you need to go on her website. And I mean, she had a, very traumatic childhood and I happen to be sitting about where Debbie is I I was on about the second row front and center and I just happen to be sitting there and she's telling her story about how her dad was absent because of his work her mother was mentally ill and she spent the majority of her childhood locked in a closet talking about darkness Can you imagine that being your childhood? So by the time she got away from her home and her family of origin, she was kind of wondering, is my life worth living? And it was, I think, suicidal. And she pretty much said that in her biography. And so she's telling this story, and I'm kind of thinking, I kind of didn't want to hear that, Stormy. I want to just know about your prayer life, girl. But do you see? That is her prayer life. She had She had nothing but darkness, Mm -hmm. and someone said to her, hey, I want you to come sit down with our pastor, and he introduced her to Jesus, and she just, in a very simple way, learned how to pray, and you want another verse she started with? It's a verse I'm going to close with. It's um, a verse that I see over and over and over again, because y'all, that day, when I was sitting front and center in that room, and thinking, I kind of don't want to hear this. I don't This is hard to listen to. then she said, but you know what? God gave me a promise. And this is what I cling to every single day. And she looked directly at me. She looked me straight in the eye because she had prayed this so many times. She knew it by heart. She said, and I don't know it by heart, but I see 812 on my clock so many times. And it's God's reminder of me of this, of Jesus' words. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So that's our promise, and let's pray. Um, Jesus, thank you for saying that. Lord, we all have admitted this morning that we have dark places. We have dark places in our past that are painful. We have painful, uncertain places today in our circumstances, Lord, and within our own souls. Lord, we have um, places of uncertainty out in the future ahead of us, Lord. We have darkness that comes to us because the enemy wants to send us those messages that blind us from the truth. Lord, there's a lot of darkness in the world we live in. But Lord Jesus, thank you for your promise, Lord. I just appreciate appropriate it. I have confidence to pray it. I pray it with boldness and believing and knowing you'll answer it for each person that's listening right now, Lord, that you have said, Lord Jesus, that I am the light of the world and that whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so, Lord, we thank you for that hope. It may not look like light right this minute, but Lord, I believe that you are going to light the way for us like you said you would. Lord, we have all these promises. We have your Holy Spirit, and would you flood the eyes of our heart with light so that we might know you, Lord, so that we might get in touch with that deep, deep inner desire to know you that's planted in each one of us, and that we might progressively and deeply and intimately become so acquainted with you that, Lord, you would be our constant companion. We thank you, Lord, that that is your will for us. That is your desire for us. That is your kind intention for us. And that you knock on the door today and ask us, will you? And so, Lord, we just pray that we would have the courage to knock back. And we just thank you so much, Lord, for what you're teaching us. And we just ask you, Lord, would you live these things out through us by the power of your Spirit? Not by might, Lord, not by power, but by your Spirit. And we just ask it in Jesus' name, amen.